fellow feasters in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your patience as we prepare for Season 7 of the Gospel Feast podcast. Our author and historian has been busily working on a very special book, Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed. You've heard the story of Esther, but do you really understand it? I think you will find this book illuminates things that you never knew were in the simple story of Esther. I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant, Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from heaven, and gave him commandments. Jesus Christ, God. This is the Gospel Feast Podcast, for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to cut like a two-edged sword. We have reached the end of this amazing book, one that many have read, but few have really feasted on. We hope that this season has been a grand feast for you, and that you will never read John's book again without rejoicing that you, as Elder McConkie labeled, one of the few favored in the church. So, we have one last chapter to enjoy. So, even so. We did it. You have just feasted on one of the most enigmatic books God has given to man. Joseph Smith said it was one of the simplest, too. What do you think? The very fact that you have been studying the Word of God and trying to follow Him makes it all easier. The Lord gives line upon line. As we accept truth and embrace it, He gives more. See for yourself. Ether 4.7 And in that day that men shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, that they may become sanctified in me, then will I manifest unto them all things, even to the unfolding unto them of all my revelations, saith Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and of the earth, and all things that in them are. And he that will contend against the word of the Lord, let him be accursed. And he that shall deny these things, let him be accursed. For unto them will I show no greater things, saith Jesus Christ. For I am he who speaketh. We know what John thought. Once again he was overcome with joy for the final victory of the Messiah ben Judah, his cousin, savior, king, mentor and friend. It is hard to put one's self in John's sandals. He had witnessed it all. The Lord's baptism, his ministry, and the successful and unsuccessful conversions of his countrymen. He had witnessed the transfiguration, shouted Hosanna as the Lord entered Jerusalem, and wept with him when that entry turned from triumph to disappointment. He was there at the Last Supper and laid on the Lord's chest when he learned the duplicitous nature of Judas. He watched the trial, the suffering, and the crucifixion. With tears in his eyes, he must have tried to put on a firm face when the Lord, through parched lips, gave his own mother Mary into his care. It must have been terrible beyond words. He may have been the first to believe when word came to the brethren. He is not in the tomb. He is risen. 
Is it any wonder millions of boys have been named John in his honor ever since? It is interesting to note that in the scriptures there is connection between the close relationship of God and the revealing of God's purposes. God delights in sharing his ways and foreknowledge with his friends. Men who have proven faithful, despite terrible trials, and who have repented when wrong, have earned the title, Friend of God. Men we know, such as Joseph Smith, Daniel, Lehi, and Nephi, among others, have been so called. All of these have witnessed knowledge, visions, and great revelation. In just such a manner, John is called the Beloved. How wonderful for us that John was willing and able to share that status with you and me. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which shewed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. We get a feeling for the power of this experience here, as John, overcome by it all, nearly falls down in praiseful worship a second time. He is again reminded that only God is to be worshipped. But the angel does proceed to speak God's message as though the Lord himself was speaking it. This works because we know that, from the mouths of his servants, it is the same. And here is a signified fellow servant by token. Here is a true messenger. We would be wise to heed his words. And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. John's revelation is not a closed book. It is not a sealed book. It is not a book to be casually brushed away. It is an official proclamation, like our modern family, a proclamation to the world, or any of the other proclamations given from God by his ordained servants, with the frightening warning that the day is coming when he and she who is filthy will be filthy still. Then comes the following, which Latter-day Saints alone are prepared to comprehend. For without our dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. The phrase, loveth and maketh a lie, is code for those of the telestial order. We are given a list of some of these. Those who play the dog, sexual deviants, sorcerers, big pharma, those who push drugs, followers of pharmacia, murderers, and the lovers of idols, which in its highest symbolism are adulterers and adulteresses. We should take a short tangent and explore this because, 
As you will see above, these are they who have no access to the temple, the healing tree of life, and the city of Zion. We therefore don't want to be one of those who love and make a lie. In restored Christian theology, the lowest reward a human can receive on the day of judgment, that is still a kingdom of glory, is called the telestial kingdom. The glory of this kingdom has been compared to the stars in the sky in that they are a place of light. They have some beauty and are still glory because they are still God's family, but cannot compare to the greater rewards which the Father has for those who have proved worthy of more light and more beauty. The Lord has told us that the telestial kingdom is a place for those who rejected the gospel, the testimony of Jesus, the prophets, and the everlasting covenant, both on earth and when given a chance in the spirit world. These were unrepentant, liars, sorcerers, adulterers, and whoremongers during their time on earth, and most enigmatically, those who loved and made a lie. It is this last one that needs a little clarification. The Lord hates lies, and some lies are dearly loved by humanity. The following list is by no means inclusive. It is a beloved lie that abortion is not murder. It is a beloved lie that men cannot rise above their weaknesses. It is a beloved lie that true love makes all sexual acts permissible to God. It is a beloved lie that one can take Jesus physically into his heart. It is a beloved lie that once Jesus is physically in one's heart, any desires that that person has are from God. There are many others. Oh, beware of them. Note that it is not just the lie that is the problem, but the love of it and the perpetuation of it, called the making of it, that will damn men and women. What makes these lies so dangerous is that the implementation of them leads to justifiable sin. Because we love the lie, we justify the action connected to it. Please know that all of these actions are forgivable, but those that love the lie more than they love the Lord never humble themselves to a point where God can heal them. It is a point of pride with them. It is this same pride that caused Lucifer to say that he knew better than the Most High and then destroyed one-third of God's family. He recruited them with the lie that he loved. So, too, do these liars believe that they know more than the prophets and the Lord. They love their lie deeply, and in order to see it prosper, they teach it to others, leading others to sin. That's the greatest danger. The Lord cautioned thus, Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses! For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. He and she, the scriptures contain many accounts of women doing this, who cause another to stumble, may find at the judgment bar that they are required to pay for more than just their own sins. My own sins have caused me grief. I tremble to think of paying for another's. But there is still time to repent now. What does one do? The Lord himself answers us. I, Jesus, 
have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And then the warning that every missionary knows. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Young missionaries are frequently shown this verse with the rather stupid comment that God saw no need to speak again from the heavens. The stupider of the secular Christians will point to these verses as justification against the Book of Mormon, saying that it adds to the Bible. Therefore, all Mormonism is cursed. I used to take great joy in letting them go on and on about this before asking them to then read Deuteronomy 4.2 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So, using their same broken logic, Moses is saying that anything added or taken from the writings after this Old Testament chapter is not of God. Of course, the Jews use this very argument to disregard the mission of Jesus Christ and the entire New Testament. There are many great communications from God himself to man after Deuteronomy. Using secular Christian logic, we would have to throw out Isaiah, God forbid, the tender songs of King David, please no. In fact, none of these books were assembled into the Word before Ezra was commanded to do it. It is the same with the entire New Testament. There was no canonized New Testament in John's day. The more honest and educated know that John was speaking of his letter alone, not the entire Bible, which did not even exist as a book then. Oh, yawn the boredom of these arguments. Of course, intelligent men and women around the globe have questioned loudly, Where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel today? Why doesn't he speak to his children now? Are we not in more peril today than we have ever been as humanity? Has there ever been greater need for God to speak ever than right now? With the restoration of Christianity and the return of the male priesthood authority to the earth, exactly as John the Divine foretold, Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints testify together that, yes, God does speak to man again, and the heavens are open right now. We claim the right to personal revelation and more. We claim the right to living prophets and apostles this very day, now. We invite all who will hear to come and see for themselves. You probably already know a Latter-day Saint if you're not one already. Ask them yourself. You can start out by saying something like, Okay, so what's up with you Mormons? Although now we prefer to be called Latter-day Saints. But whatever gets you started. And can I come with you to church and check you guys out myself? 
after your friend picks himself up off the floor. Note if he starts to faint, please grab him. He or she will say, yeah. Then ask for a Book of Mormon and read it or request a free copy online. You don't have to take our word for it either. Like the Book of Revelation we have just studied, the Book of Mormon contains a promise and a blessing just for reading it. We call it Moroni's promise, and it's a big one. Moroni chapter 3, verse 3. Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men, from the creation of Adam even down until the time that ye shall receive these things, and ponder it in your hearts. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know the truth of all things. This is extremely important, because you will have the knowledge of these things for yourself. A personal witness from God, just for you. I can testify this happens. Not only did I gain my own testimony this way, but I have witnessed others in the act of gaining it. It doesn't get any better than that. But you must ask with a sincere heart, truly wanting to know and believing that Christ can and will answer you in truth. What does this have to do with John's writings here? Well, the very same Moroni who made the promise above to you in the name of the Lord explained this as well when he preserved for us the Lord's own exhortation to you. Ether chapter 4 verse 11 He that believeth these things which I the Lord have spoken, him will I visit with the manifestations of my spirit, and he shall know and bear record. For because of my spirit he shall know that these things are true, for it persuadeth men to do good. And whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do good is of me, for good cometh of none save it be of me. I am the same that leadeth men to all good. He that will not believe my words will not believe me that I am. And he that will not believe me will not believe the Father who sent me. For behold, I am the Father, I am the light and the life and the truth of the world. Come unto me, O ye Gentiles, saith the Lord, and I will show unto you the greater things, the knowledge which is hid up because of unbelief. Come unto me, O ye house of Israel, and it shall be made manifest unto you how great things the Father hath laid up for you from the foundation of the world. And it shall not come unto you because of unbelief. Behold, when ye shall rend the veil of unbelief, which doth cause you to remain in your awful state of wickedness, and hardness of heart, and blindness of mind, then shall the great and marvelous things which have been hid up from the foundation of the world from you. Yea, when ye shall call upon the Father in my name, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then 
shall ye know that the Father hath remembered the covenant which he made unto your fathers, O house of Israel. And then shall my revelations, which I have caused to be written by my servant John, be unfolded in the eyes of all the people. Remember, when ye see these things, ye shall know that the time is at hand, that they shall be made manifest in very deed. In other words, the blessings and horrors of the book of Revelation written down by John the Beloved are at our very doors. If that was so, almost four jubilees ago, in the days that the Book of Mormon was offered to the world, oh, how much nearer all of this must be today. Ether chapter 4 verse 17 Therefore, when ye shall receive this record, ye may know that the work of the Father has commenced upon all the face of the land. Therefore, repent all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me, and believe in my gospel, and be baptized in my name. For he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned, and signs shall follow them that believe in my name. And blessed is he that is found faithful unto my name at the last day, for he shall be lifted up to dwell in the kingdom prepared for him from the foundation of the world. And behold, it is I, Jesus Christ, that hath spoken it. Amen. Here we have John's final words. In order to let the weight of them sink inside you, and in order to better understand the personality of John, take a moment and reflect on all of the terrible plagues, sorrows, lamentations, and woes that John has just witnessed. It's pretty terrible what's coming. Now read the ending. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The end. Even so, despite all that has happened, and all that must still happen, and all of it combined, the only thing John wants when it is all said and done is the only thing that I want, too. Despite it all, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That officially concludes the book of Revelation. Together we have explored it verse by verse, every single verse. While this closes our study of Revelation, we do have at least one bonus episode planned for this season. With all that is still on the horizon, good and bad, we hope that you will be able to declare with John, after he had seen it all, bring it on. Or as he worded it, even so, come Lord Jesus. 